out here. We got a guy with a long rifle. We don't know where the hell he's at. He's in the damn building right there. This is radio traffic from Dallas Police. We may have the suspect pinned down northwest corner of the building uh, on the second floor. It's from 2016. They were in a standoff with a sniper who had killed five officers. He was a military veteran who had served in Afghanistan. Those officers by squad car 2091, you're facing the wrong direction. You need to get behind some cover. So they sent in a robot. You know, one of those robots that bomb techs use to defuse explosives? But in this case, the robot wasn't there to take a bomb apart. It was there to deliver one. It exploded, and he died. This incident was incredibly controversial because it blurred the line between policing and warfare. Gun control in the United States, the political movements have not made a significant impact, and I wanted to take a different approach. What if we could make the bullet obsolete? This is Rick Smith. He's the CEO of Axon. It provides technology to police departments, things like tasers and body cams. He wants to look at giving police a new tool, tasers on drones. This response could bring a situation under control in a matter of seconds. Before Rick Smith's announcement, Axon's AI ethics board had spent more than a year looking at whether putting tasers on drones was a good idea. And so the question was, is that a line that we just don't want to cross? I'm Dina Temple-Rustin, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, we take you into the room with the Axon AI Ethics Board as they grapple with the idea of putting weaponized drones on the streets with police. And you can imagine, initially, how they reacted. My initial knee-jerk reaction was absolutely not. Click Here obtained a report that provides, for the first time, an inside look at the board's deliberations. And what it provides is a window into a debate swirling around AI-enabled devices generally. How much should we rely on machines? What do we lose when we take human compassion out of the equation? And who should determine where the line should be drawn? Axon's ethics board eventually decided that putting a taser on a drone was just too dangerous, too ripe for abuse, which is why the board was stunned by what happened next. Just weeks after they said the project should be shelved, Axon's CEO announced publicly that the company had a plan to stop mass shootings by putting taser-equipped drones in schools. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? 
The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. AI ethics boards are kind of a thing now. There are so many ethical risks associated with technologies powered by artificial intelligence. Drones use AI software to perceive their surroundings, to track objects, and to provide analytical feedback in real time. But the algorithms that power AI can be biased. The cameras it controls can invade privacy. And because these kinds of devices are built to operate at scale, any problems they have affect lots of people all at once. So could artificial intelligence play a vital part in providing some answers? But here's the catch. These smart cameras pose a major threat to our privacy. Basically, this is a technology that turns our cameras from dumb recording devices into smart AI security guards that will be watching us at every moment. In China, the communist government uses AI to track and control the population. All of this is one of the reasons why Axon, one of the country's leading manufacturers of policing technology, decided to create an independent review board to advise the company on how they could develop AI-powered products without trampling on civil liberties. They were operating in a space that was fraught and where they got criticized a lot and thought it would be good to have an independent outside body that uh, would guide them. This is Barry Friedman. He's a law professor at New York University and the director of their policing project. And we were a little skeptical of it, frankly, but we agreed to listen. And I think over the period of time in which the ethics board was operating and operating well, everybody felt that good work was being done. Good work like convincing Axon not to put facial recognition software in its police body cams. Because it just had too many issues. It misidentifies the faces of women and people of color all the time. They also convinced the company to modify plans to use high-speed license plate scanners. And we're going to test the Fleet 3 system with license plate reading technology with some of the fastest cars in the world. Ferraris. The AI ethics board thought it could be used to illegally track people. And the company eventually agreed. So when Axon's chairman asked them to take a look at something they called Project Ion, an effort to put tasers onto drones, the board thought this would be just another episode in which they could prevent a technology from getting ahead of itself. Weaponizing drones and robots has been a frontier, right? And so the question was, is that a line that we just don't want to cross? According to a report of their internal deliberations obtained by Click Here, the board quickly agreed that there were certain use cases for the Taser drone that were just non-starters. Things like crowd control at protests or patrolling the border. A drone has value as an eye in the sky. That itself is incredibly invasive. But to then think that that's going to be able to zap people that it sees, like that's, that's disturbing science fiction. Which is, I think, why everybody's first reaction when they hear about weaponizing drones is the one like, nah, this seems like a bridge too far. Sure. I mean, it, you know, some level conjures up, you know, images from Star Wars or something. It's not so good. You see, Lord Vader, she can be reasonable. Continue with the operation. You may fire when ready. What? But that's Hollywood. And it might surprise you to know that the board didn't dismiss the idea of weaponized drones out of hand. According to the report, it actually believed there could be some very limited cases in which the police might find drones helpful. 
specifically situations like the one in Texas, in which there was a highly experienced sniper targeting police. You know, often I think that people working in technology can ignore uh, the social context in which these products are used. Max Isaacs is a staff attorney at NYU's Policing Project, and he did a lot of the research that went into the board's assessment. You can't just develop the technology with some safeguards. You need to look at the types of policies that agencies are enacting, the way that they're enforced, the way that officers are trained, all of the pieces kind of combined. Which is why the board wasn't just looking at adding wings to a taser. It had to take into account some of the issues that dogged the tasers themselves. We've heard some really disturbing reports about the abuse of tasers uh, against school children, elderly people, uh, even against people who, who have been restrained, who are in handcuffs. Uh, and, and given that context, given the fact that the taser exists today and we haven't found a way to prevent these abuses from happening, uh, those concerns are only magnified. Look no further than the case of Dawson Lee. Attention all cars, all departments. Come here for a second, guys. Back in 2017, when he was just 14 years old, he was standing on a hill near an apartment block with a friend when Cincinnati police officer Kevin Kroger pulled up in his cruiser. You guys live here? This is from the body cam footage taken that day. Neither of you have anything on you, do you? There are two teenagers. They're black, dressed in sweatshirts. Dawson is about 5'5", 120 pounds, and there are braces on his teeth. Take a step over there for a second. Not you. He grabs Dawson Lee by the arm. Just put your hands on top of your head for a second. Which Dawson does. And then he wriggles free and takes off running down the hill. Kroger, who was looking for a suspect who had stolen a car, doesn't tell Dawson to stop as he's supposed to do. Instead, he takes off after him. And then he reaches for his taser and fires. Dawson falls to the pavement and starts to get up and he's tasered again. He said it was like everything just seized up in his body and he had no control. This is DeAndre Lee, Dawson's dad. All the momentum and everything was still going. So he, when he hit the ground, he could just watch himself hitting the ground with no control whatsoever. In other words, he couldn't even break his own fall. Dawson hit so hard, he broke his collarbone. The first time I watched the body cam videos, it made me very, very angry. It made me very angry because it hurt my wife's feelings. And that, you know, she gave birth to that man, to that young man. So, you know, when you hurt him, you hurt a part of her. All that happened back in 2017. The Lees ended up filing a lawsuit against the police for excessive force, and they settled for an undisclosed sum. The police never had to admit wrongdoing. Dawson's dad says he's still not over it all these years later. Unfortunately, he, he has a real he has a real quick trigger. His he has a lot of triggers within his anger. And a lot of that has come post incident. He's 20 now, works in his dad's business, and still hasn't put it behind him. And neither has his dad. Now I understand you gotta protect and serve and go home to your family. But you but every 14-year-old African American that you run into is not used to doing them the way you did my child. 
That was his first encounter and only encounter. It's cases like these that concern members of Axon's AI ethics board when it began considering scenarios under which mounting a taser on a drone would be a good idea. But hard facts kept coming up. It gets used disproportionately on black and brown folks. That just always is the case. The report cited worries about dehumanization. The idea of a control panel with a taser drone felt a little bit too much like a gaming platform. And even if they had thought of every eventuality, how would they ensure that the rules of engagement would be followed? The 18,000 agencies in the country, as you might guess, there's wide variety in the quality of those agencies. Which was one of the problems, the report said, they just couldn't overcome. There was a group of us that were just concerned that as well as we could design this, and if designed well, as much as we believed it was something the world could benefit from, we couldn't trust the overall variance in policing to make this a commercially viable product. So after a year of study, the ethics board decided to put it to a vote. It was easily our most fraught meeting ever. Barry Friedman was in the room. And I think it was fraught in part because all of us understood the compelling use case. And I want to stress that. We, we unanimously understood why you might want to be able to use less lethal force from a distance to save lives. And the police on the board, you know, told stories about horror shows they'd experienced in their departments where somebody had been shot and their lives might have been saved with something like this. Like what happened in Dallas in 2016. And we all kind of went around the room and said how we felt. And then we had back and forth. And then after that, uh, we took a vote. In the end, it was eight to four against. They decided Axon should not develop tasers on drones. We decided not to go ahead with the pilot. Uh, and and it, it was a tough decision. I know Rick was very disappointed. This has really been one of his dreams, I think. Rick Smith, the CEO of Axon. But we never had time to explain the reasoning. When we come back, how the idea of tasers on drones went from general police work to inside our schools. But this one just went completely off the rails, and I think for no reason whatsoever. Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger or more online, which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. The summer of 2022 was a terrible one for mass shootings. In Buffalo, New York, a community mourns, remembering the 10 people killed in what officials call a racist hate crime Saturday at Top Supermarket. Good afternoon, and we're coming on the air because of an awful scene playing out today in Texas. An active shooter for a time at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. He shot and killed horrifically incomprehensibly, 14 students uh, and killed a teacher. 
The Buffalo and Uvalde shootings happened just a couple of weeks after Axon's ethics board came to the conclusion that tasers and drones shouldn't mix, which is why it seems so odd when Axon CEO Rick Smith released this video. We've talked about these horrific school shootings. They just keep happening. He announced that Axon would be developing a taser drone for schools, and he explained how it would prevent mass shootings. If that human operator gives the go signal, then the drone rotors up, it immediately deploys into the scene. Together with the operator, it can help identify the threat, and there, it could incapacitate that threat. This response could bring a situation under control in a matter of seconds. I believe this is how we can end school shootings. Did, did like, using it in schools ever come up? Absolutely not. Like, that wasn't even, I don't think that ever crossed anyone's mind as a potential case scenario. This is me, Cole Jordan McBride. She's a community organizer in Chicago, and she was on the Axon Ethics Board. She was one of the four members on the board who voted to give that Taser Drone pilot program a try. And she thought that Rick Smith's school Taser plan was ill-advised. It, it just felt fanciful to me, and it felt, it felt like an emotional response that wasn't completely thought through. And we should say here that we asked to interview Rick Smith for this episode, and Axon declined. McCall said she tried to imagine how this would even work. I was thinking, like, even in Chicago, like, how many school buildings are in Chicago? It's impossible for you to know which school would potentially be victim to this, right? In order to make an armed drone helpful in a school setting, it needed to be inside. And so now we're talking about literally putting a drone in every single school across America. I thought about the, the, the amount of money that would be, you know, I thought about the over-surveillance of that. To figure out where the shooter was, Axon would either need access to any cameras that were there or would need someone to install them though Axon's video of how it would all work made it seem a lot simpler than that. Working through partners, we're gonna activate any camera in any school, church, or public building so that it can be easily shared with first responders. And then finally, we're going to be building a taser drone system that can be remotely operated and pre in place to stop threats in less than a minute. But actually, Think about every school shooting you've ever read about. The gunman gets into the school, armed to the teeth, and he's wearing body armor. They usually barricade themselves in a classroom. That's what happened at Uvalde. Police thought it was too dangerous to go in, so they waited down the hall from where the gunman was for more than 70 minutes. You know, drones have to get around, and shooters go into rooms and close doors. Barry Friedman again. And the company's answer was, well, we'll just, you know, we'll cut holes in all the doors so the drone could get through, and that, you know, you're trying a little too hard then. People that go in and commit these shootings often have body armor on. It's not like the drone's gonna work. For the board, the taser drones in schools was a bridge too far. We could have talked as a board and we could have talked with the company, but there was this great eagerness on Rick's part to you know, get this idea out there in the aftermath of Uvalde and we couldn't operate that way. So just days after Rick Smith's surprise announcement, Axon's AI ethics board began a chain of phone calls and they held an emergency meeting. Do we issue a statement? Do we resign? Who's going to resign? We had emails about who would resign. Uh, nine of us resigned. Friedman said he felt like there wasn't a choice. Trust was so much of the work that we did. Uh, board members were often under 
attack from the outside world for you know working with Axon, but we believed that we were making progress and it was the right thing to do. And it's interesting because in the aftermath of the collapse of the board, I got a number of emails from folks in different places in the civil liberties, racial justice community saying, it's a good thing that you did the work and it's a good thing that you stopped when you did, given the circumstances. Axon CEO responded by putting the whole stun gun taser project on hold. But the reason we're talking about this now, the reason we have new details about the board's deliberations, is because during a keynote address at the first annual TaserCon conference in Las Vegas, Rick Smith announced that Axon had started working with a roster of drone companies. So we partnered with a company called DroneSense. They make one software platform that can manage any... D-Drone is a new partner of ours that allows you to track drones. And he actually brought the drones on stage. I can switch between the two different drone feeds or the ground robot feed. And these, these drones, typically when you think about tactical drones, we're talking about like $25,000. These are one-tenth of that, 2,500 bucks. If somebody breaks the drone, fine, let's get another one. And his message was the same one that the ethics board had spent so much time considering. This allows us to not put people, human beings at risk, to figure out what's happening in these incredibly dangerous environments. He didn't mention adding tasers directly, but it was clear that was the direction he's taking the company. We're going to do better. We're giving you a better tool. We want to do a better job of keeping you safer and helping you do your job. Axon was hosting another non-public session at TaserCon called Weapons of Mass Construction. And that's where the company is expected to talk again about introducing armed drones into schools. Axon told Click Here in a statement that taser drones in schools is an idea, not a product, and it's a long way off. But in the meantime, Rick Smith has said publicly that he's engaging with teachers and school boards and continuing to explore the idea. I know that they have a new ethics board or, or something like an ethics board. You know, my hope and my prayer is that those individuals are asking the hard questions and that their design team is really pushing back and, and trying to answer for all of these what ifs. This is Click Here. There's another piece of cutting edge technology that's caught the attention of school administrators recently something called Chat. GPT. You've probably heard of it. Users type in what they want, and in seconds it churns out human-like text on everything from Shakespeare to complex equations. And a bunch of school districts don't like it too much, since some students are using it to make quick work of their homework. But where the program is developing a very devoted following is in cyber criminal circles. You know, my, my initial concern was, you know, wow, this thing can really quickly generate some really sophisticated email lures that could be used to exploit people. This is Crane Hasselt. He's the director of threat intelligence at Abnormal Security. They're all about keeping emails safe. Crane says ChatGPT is helping cyber criminals craft really good phishing emails. You know, the ones that usually show up in your mailbox with syntax and spelling errors. No more. Just tell ChatGPT to write a persuasive email requesting a wire transfer and... Let's see. The program responds... Do you want me to just read this off to you? Okay, yeah, read it to me. In natural human language. So it starts out with, 
Dear employee, I hope this email finds you well. I'm writing to request a wire transfer to be paid to our supplier. It describes an elaborate backstory, an urgent request for money. And it goes on and on with multiple paragraphs of context and background. Yeah, as it's writing the paragraphs, is the cursor sort of going across the screen, just taking care of it? That's exactly what it's doing. It's literally typing it in front of my eyes. (laughs) But what it's missing are those syntax problems and red flags that scream, this is a scam, watch out. And it turns out ChatGPT can also write code. Alexander Leslie is an associate threat intelligence analyst at Recorded Future. And after scouring a bunch of Russian dark web forums, he's seen people in there using ChatGPT to write malware. It may not be the best, most technically sophisticated form of malware, but the tone of the posts among threat actors was incredibly optimistic. They were very enthusiastic because the opportunities effectively are unlimited. Full disclosure, Click Here is part of Recorded Future News, an editorially independent arm of Recorded Future. Alexander says code produced by ChatGPT might not be ready to ship, but it makes the business of cybercrime a whole lot easier. What it's doing is it's lowering the technical barrier to entry for threat actors that, say, don't have technical skills. They don't know how to program. They don't know where to look. So they can go to ChatGPT and say, hey, can you build me a script for a program that can hypothetically steal browser information or modify clipboard data? And ChatGPT will do it for them. A lot of this may still be in the proof of concept stage, but criminals see ways to use the program to help steal credentials or drain cryptocurrency wallets. And in response, ChatGPT has set up a few guardrails. Actual requests to write malware might now result in a, quote, safety prompt, which rejects the query. But with enough persistence, with enough write-arounds or creativity, it's still possible. If you know how to game ChatGPT, if you know the correct syntax, the correct tools, you can get around a lot of the restrictions on its community standards. So the battle begins. ChatGPT tries to outsmart humans, And the humans, they return the favor. This is Click Here. Here are some of the week's top cyber and intelligence stories from the record. Solaris, a large darknet marketplace focused on drugs and illegal substances, has taken over a smaller competitor named Kraken, according to the blockchain monitoring group Elliptic. Kraken claims to have hacked its rival in January, on Friday the 13th. And there's evidence to suggest something happened because the tour site of Solaris currently redirects to Kraken. And Elliptic says that there hasn't been any activity in the crypto site associated with the group. The Solaris marketplace appeared on the scene pretty recently, not long after law enforcement managed to shutter Hydra, the massive darknet marketplace we've talked about in the past. Kraken shared logs that allegedly confirm that it has taken full control of Solaris, and it said that Solaris's Bitcoin wallets have been deactivated. According to the Justice Department, the Russian co-founder of a cryptocurrency exchange that's thought to have laundered cyber crime proceeds was arrested early Wednesday morning in Miami. Anatoly Ledkodimov was charged with unlicensed money transmitting. He was behind an exchange called Bitslato, and it was based in China and was registered in Hong Kong. 
And finally, an international counterterrorism task force first announced at the White House in November has officially opened its doors. The International Counter-Ransomware Task Force is supposed to boost collaboration among a coalition of 36 member states and the European Union. They want to counter the spread and impact of ransomware around the world by sharing information and intelligence. Click Here is a production of Recorded Future News. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with our writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, Darren Ancrum is our fact-checker, and Ben Levingston composes our theme. We use other music from Blue Dot Sessions. Gabriella Glick is our intern. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts, and connect with us by email at clickhere at recordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.